0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: My Family Recipe is a new podcast from Food52 and Heritage Radio Network, bringing you cherished heirloom recipes and the stories behind them. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Hello, and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm one half your host, Greg Bresnitz. On today's episode, we are joined by one of our oldest friends, Nika Carlson, who is now the reigning queen of Greenpoint Cidery, which is a handcrafted natural hard cider coming to you from Hudson, New York via Greenpoint, Brooklyn. Inspired by farmhouse practices, natural wine, and the long history of apples in America, her ciders are made with traditional methods, local ingredients, and minimal intervention. We sit down to talk about her path to Cider Queen and all the steps along the way. We then dip into our archives with the 2014 performance from Adrian Lenker. So sit back, relax, and here's another episode of Snacky Tunes here on HRN.
3: We talk about food, we talk about music, with musical dudes, finger on the pulse, Snacky Tunes.
4: See if I can remember how to play it.
5: (laughs) I've got something here, it's a chance. I'm gonna make my changes as I go in the city lights dance, lay the stars. I have metal cans of reasons why the seasons leave their scars and thin as cinnamon and tarnish like these metal cars that drive along the out my pain I am hanging by the edges of my name but I am warm so comfortable forgetting about the storm I love Minnesota Michigan Colorado too been a traveler inside of the womb Never had a place with a living room You said a house is a tomb Minnesota, Michigan, Colorado too. With land and Montana and Nebraska and the moon and you. Well, life is easy coming, it's easy go. Two hours with the birds and I guess they flew. I just can't get a grip on this place, believe
2: the Snacky Tunes. I'm one half your host, Greg Bresnitz. On today's show, I have someone who might be one of my oldest friends going all the way back to Oregon, Nika Carlson of Greenpoint Cidery. Nika, welcome.
6: Thank you. I'm pleased to be here.
2: I feel like I've been asking you to do this for a long time and you've demurred for a while and now you're such a cider boss. I feel very honored to have you on here.
6: Oh my gosh, thank you. I can't believe I would have turned you down before. But um, as we've shown with our tech problems coming in, into this, maybe I'm bad with tech, missed the email. Who knows?
2: Who knows? Well, let's let's go back before the cider. Not all the way back, because that would be too far. But let's go back to the bar that you owned in Williamsburg. Let's start there. Uh, tell me about the bar, uh, the history of it, um, and just what the general vibe of it was.
6: Sure. Um so I was a partial owner of a bar in Williamsburg called The Drink that um, opened in 2009, I believe. Um so we were just kind of like right on the edge of the cocktail resurgence or some people are involved that were um pretty cocktail heavy, um, some beer nerds, but it was mostly just a neighborhood bar that served really good drinks. And um, kind of our unique thing was that we did punch, we served punch, we did punch by the bowl and by the glass. And the general vibe of the place was, was nautical, I guess. Most of us were sailors. So um, I ran that bar for seven years. I think, six years until it closed. Um, My sense of time is obviously also pretty bad.
2: (laughs) I mean, time is a flat circle, especially after this last 19 months.
6: Yeah, exactly. Time no longer exists. Um, But that bar is actually where I um, discovered cider. So I kind of was of the same perspective, I think, that a lot of people are, that I knew what you could get at your grocery store or your bodega and it came in a can and it was really sweet. It's probably made from concentra- concentrated juice that was imported from China or something. And it's just, yeah, it's, just, it's like a, a sweet drink. Um, and I had somebody come in um, and bring us some Spanish ciders um and spanish ciders are really cool they're um they tend to be a little bit funky and sour and they're um they're still and you like you like pour them from a a height into a glass so from like two or three feet above your glass depending on how good you are at this or into your mouth skip the glass i mean there were times when we poured it directly into the mouth um And, uh, I was just like blown away. And this person was an importer specifically of cider. And so I tried a bunch of French ciders and some English cider and realized, um, what a cool tradition there is of cider here in the United States. Like it's, it's the quintessential American beverage. I mean, literally for decades, people were like lightly drunk on cider and rum all the time. Um... Yeah. And got it, got into cider that way.
2: Pretty, pretty incredible. Uh, But, you know, we drink a lot of things in bars, you know, I've had my fair share of whiskey and then I moved to Ireland and open up a distillery. What was the beginning transition from bar owner to like, "Hmm, maybe I want to make some cider. Maybe I want to make some of my own.
6: So, I mean, the original idea, um, was with my ex-partner, I was going to open up a bar that was focused on cider. And so do something kind of like the drink, but, um, be cider, cider focused. The drink was the bar that I owned before. Um, and (laughs) I knew this guy, um, who's a mead maker. His name is Raphael Lyon. He does a project called Enlightenment Wines and now has a bar out in Bushwick called Honey's. It's really great. And he was like, you should just make it. It's really easy. I'll teach you. Like you can get this license. (laughs) It's pretty cheap. I'll just like, I'll just like teach you how to do it. And, um, yeah, it snowballed from there. It was just like now and now, now I'm a farmer and own a winery.
2: (laughs) Well yeah, let let's break that down because um I remember you telling me that you were getting into cider and the whole saga of the, the drink ending. Uh and then the next thing I know, you're like, Oh yeah, I got some land in in Hudson. I was like, Okay, for what? You're like, No, no, no. I'm not just like making cider. I'm not even I'm I'm planting trees. And, and I was like, Oh, you're really going to it. Most people would maybe start with like, Oh, I'm gonna maybe just order um some bushels of apples and do it myself, but you were like, let's let's like plant some trees and let's go there. So um, how did you select your apple? How did you select it? And what, did you have any um, background at all in being an orchardist?
6: No, no, none, none at all. I would, so I will say this for my ex-partner, he went full bore into stuff. And so this was a project that initially we were going to do together um, that, yeah, I just, just really wanted to go for it. Um, which was funny because then I ended up doing everything on my own. Um, so it was, uh, definitely, definitely trial by fire, made a lot of mistakes, uh, talked to a lot of people, went to a lot of conferences. Um, we have Cornell here in New York and the Cornell egg extension and the Cornell, um, Ag school and their research lab is just really incredible a lot of apples that you like buy at the grocery store were developed by the lab in cornell and they're just there's a lot of really great resources um yeah so just just really went for it and then the, the trees that i planted so um it's it, it the, the tree thing started with i have a license that's called a farm winery license Um, which means it needs to be based on a farm property. And the idea is is that you are making um, what's called a secondary product from something that's grown. So rather than just like the apple itself, it's taking the apple that you grow and turn it into something. Um, And uh, found some people that had some land that they weren't doing that much with and were willing to lease me some space. And um, there happened to be some... Some really cool wild-growing trees on the property. I mean, anyone's been in New York. You drive around in the spring when you can see them flowering, or right now, when well, it's like kind of the end of apple season. But there are apple trees everywhere in New York. They're all over the place. They're either orchards that are no longer in use, or they are um, crab apples, or they're like kind of feral trees that you know a seed seed dropped somewhere and something sprouted. So there are these cool apples growing on the property and, and cider apples are kind of think of it as you would with grapes. Like you're not necessarily going to be eating a wine grape. You're not eating like a, you know, Pinot Noir or whatever. You're cider apple really tastes good. So like sometimes you eat a crab apple from a tree and it's really like tart or it's like dries your mouth out, it's super astringent. So there are these kind of intense apples growing on the property and I um I grafted them onto commercial uh, nursery and um and grafted material from these trees onto that rootstock and I'm growing those apples.
2: Amazing. And and I'm curious like, you know, people picking their grapes if to use your analogy is a really interesting process because you have to think of terroir and what grows super well. Uh, I really want to drill down into it because, you know, we've never had anyone who's made cider and all, and all this, you know, 500 episodes. How did you pick your apples? How did you, because it seems like once you commit, you're pretty like locked in. So like, how did you go through the process of being like, these are the apples that I want to begin the process with?
6: Um, I mean, there are apples that are known to be good for cider. Um, so part of it was doing research, part of it was just tasting stuff and talking to other farmers. So, um, but yeah, it is hard because the, it's a different kind of challenge because, you know, you don't plant an apple tree and it grows the next year. You know, this is a commitment at minimum of four years until you're going to have apples or anywhere from you know, up to 12 years for just like a traditional classic apple tree to start producing apples, Um, which is why this is another thing, but it can be hard for cider makers now that are really interested in um, uh, traditional varietals of apples to get the kind of apples they want to make the kind of cider that they want. Um, Why is it hard? Well, okay, so think of um, any of, any sort of fruit or vegetable that you're going to the grocery store and you see like a carrot. This is what it is. It's a carrot. Or you go to the farmer's market and you see a wide variety of carrots in lots of different colors. And these are just, you know, fruits or vegetables that weren't grown for a really long time because of the commodification of food and big farms and people just kind of growing one thing. So, um, just like with, you know, carrots or bananas or whatever thing that there is in truth, maybe like dozens or hundreds of different kinds of that that fruit or vegetable. With apples, there used to be hundreds of varieties that were grown in the U.S. A lot of them from New York or developed developed here in the United States that just kind of fell out of favor when like big grocery stores and big farms started growing like red, red delicious, you know? Um, And so as people are being interested more and more in more traditional varieties or varieties that are better for cider and not necessarily for eating, Um, it takes a while to produce that kind of volume or otherwise to convince growers that they should invest the time and space and wait to get these apples because someone's going to want to buy them.
2: So interesting. So once you got the apples, once you got the trees, your, your process didn't start there because you pretty much go from all the way to planting to bottling. Mm -hmm. and I and unless I knew about this uh beforehand and you hit or you kept it like a secret Mm -hmm. I also feel you learned how to bottle (laughs) clean kegs do label design and essentially run the whole business so what was that process you know from uh (laughs) from being like okay we're going to plant the trees to when you were able to sip your first bottle
6: so I um I mean, like I said, lots of mistakes, lots of learning along the way. Um, Can
2: you share, as opposed to alluding to one, like one mistake that really jumps out?
6: Well, it's just, it's small things. Okay, so I'll, I'll start from the beginning. So I actually also buy apples from another grower, because especially in order to grow, I'll probably always buy kind of base apples from somebody else. And then this is actually the first year that I'm going to be able to include some apples that I have grown myself in a cider that I'm making. So to have an estate cider. Um, So I'm trying to think of a specific example. I mean, one, one mistake is, so when I first started, um, I was making only one cider. I had one kind of juice that I was working with. I just made, I just I made one thing um, and I offered it in bottles and cans or sorry, bottles and kegs. So it's kegging things as well um, and was really encouraged by lots of different people to focus on kegs um, people wanted them. They were moving really quickly. And it was if I were to do it again, I would probably not have done that because kegs, especially when you are doing it small scale and you don't have a lot of big equipment, like everything that I do is pretty small scale and I don't have a ton of specialized equipment. And so it's just a lot of like labor, a lot of hand labor by myself to clean the kegs and fill the kegs and deliver the kegs and pick them up. and by volume, I mean, you can reuse kegs, the kegs I was doing, I still have now. Um, but I just, you know, I wasn't making as much money. And really, I think what I should have done was focus labor on doing like big bottling that might've required like wrangling more people and, Investing more in like glass. Glass is pretty expensive. Um, and then spending time to open more accounts at like wine shops and restaurants as opposed to bars who can sometimes be a little less loyal. I still have two accounts that I make cakes for and have lines. Um, but I would have focused more on bottles because I think that would have been more sustainable growth.
2: You approach your cider making, it seems, at least to me, very similar to making natural wine.
6: Yeah.
2: Low intervention, like very much in the same space. Uh, Is that in the traditional mindset that you alluded to before, you know, Spanish and American cider? Or is that something you've adopted because of the, you know, desire to drink things that as little intervention as possible?
6: I mean, partly it has to do with the process and the space that I'm working in. And partly it's just, I, I'm i interested in, in storytelling. And I know this kind of sounds corny when I'm talking about making food, but I'm interested in sharing with people the experience that I have of working with apples and I am... This is a whole nother story, but the trees I originally planted had to be moved onto a new property.
2: I didn't want to bring it up because you're talking about it, but like if you might allude to the story, um, since you have touched on it, it's pretty uh, pretty amazing.
6: I'm trying to think of what. I mean, these guys aren't going to hear this. Uh, so I had the original property that was on. Um, my friends were in contract to buy it. Um, And they were buying it from this old farmer who um, had the land, he owned land under an LLC that he had incorporated. So while they were in contract to buy out this land from this guy, from this LLC, he sold the LLC to someone else who just had um, the money and the manpower to outlast my friends and... Break the contract through um, l- legal and perhaps otherwise means, uh, and so they kind of gave up and left this property that somebody else now owns. And eventually, they bought a new property, which is where I've moved the trees to. Um, <laughs> that's the like the sh- the short and. That's a short answer that I'm happy to expand on if someone wants to ask me in person, I guess. I don't know. Uh, It's a, it's a crazy story. Um, But the space that I'm on now is just like, it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. It's so perfect. I feel so lucky to be there. My friends who are on the land are so supportive of me and what I'm doing. um, That since I moved on there, since i moved to Cidery there, I just feel really grateful. And in, in fact, in the last couple of years, I have had the time and space to explore, explore that property. So a lot of what I do is working with things that are foraged from the land and kind of alluding back to like the tradition of, of folk wines and like farmhouse beers and farmhouse wines and farmhouse ciders of just like working with what's around me. So, um, in the spring, I make a dandelion cider, and that's just me. Like, there are tons of dandelions that pop up in the spring and gathering those and doing an infused cider with those dandelions um, and make a cider that's infused with mugwort, which is, I mean, it's an herb, but it's weedy. It grows all over the place. It's this, like, feathery plant that grows everywhere like on the side of the highway along you know like along the seashore like all over the place um but is really beautifully fragrant um it's really herbal it's kind of like sagey and minty and um hundreds of years ago before hops were really common um it was used to bitter beer because hops Hops are actually pretty tough to grow. There's this kind of like small band of environment that goes across the globe that you can grow hops in, but you can't really grow it outside that of that band around the globe. Um, and so people use different things in their beer. Those are like farmhouse beers, like if you're familiar with what say like a gruet is, it's just like stuff that's stuff that's growing on your property that you're using to. Flavor the thing that you like make and drink with your friends and family. Um, and so I did a cider infused with mugwort. Um, what else? Uh, They're wild gropes, wild gropes, cool word, Nika, wild grapes, wild grapes that grow on the property and actually um, grow all over New York that are native grapes. Um, and I uh, picked those at kind of end of summer early early fall um and do ferment those and then re-ferment cider on those so it's like all this stuff that's around my space that is like picked in its season and yeah and then I use that to that is my way of like sharing this like bounty that i have with people that i feel so lucky to have access to it's also just like a gorgeous beautiful place
2: amazing well we're going to take a quick musical break okay we're going to play a song from our archives and then we'll be back with mika from greenpoint cidery here on snacky tunes on hrn
3: Como yo, chicos, chicas pobres, no escuchamos tu rock. Masticamos odio, chicos, sin diversión ni trabajo fijo. ¿Quieres tu besterio? ¿Quieres que la cuide? Cuida coche, hasta la cuido. Cuida coche, hasta la cuidado. Yo, chico, chicos, pobre, pobres, no escuchamos tu rock. masticamos, adiós, chicos, sin sí, diversión ni trabajo fijo. ¿Qué es deseo? ¿Quieres que lo cuide? Cuida coche, hasta la cuidó. Cuida coche, hasta la cuidó. Cuida coche, hasta la cuidó. Cuida coche, hasta la cuidó.
2: As you just mentioned, you have a wide variety of ciders. That's not just apple, but picked and foraged from the surrounding property. Uh, all of them have really cool names. Some of which are named after songs. Um, I think our first love together was going out dancing at John Henry's in Eugene, Oregon, and seeing shows at Wow Hall. Oh
6: my God! Uh, yeah, way way way
2: back in the day. Um, I've always associated you with music first above all else uh what are some of the names of your ciders and what are the references
6: um so one of my ciders the mugwort cider that i was just talking about is called dream baby dream it's named by a song uh by suicide which if you don't know that band you gotta look them up this amazing kind of like pioneering uh synth experimental punk band Um, and yeah, the song is about dreams. Mugwort, if you, if you're into like woo woo herbalism, uh, is said to give you crazy dreams. Like people use it actually as a, um, to help them with lucid dreaming. And I've, I've had friends say that if they like drank some of that cider, they like had bananas dreams. Um, so that's one of them. Um, I have another cider, the wild grape cider that I was talking about is called We're Laughing, um, which is um, a song from a 60s group called the Psychedelic Aliens. It's like a Afro psych band from Ghana. And I was. So the first time I released that cider was during the pandemic and um, early in the pandemic like, when everyone was still super on lockdown, like, in New York, like, no one was going anywhere, you know, we were, like, most people were just in their apartments, Um, and I was working on that label because I do all the label design myself. In this case, um, I had this idea of, like, watercolors um, influenced by what crushed grapes look like, and so I was, like, trying to get that right, and I'm, like, working on this stuff and I'm like dancing around my apartment kind of and this song comes on the playlist that I was listening to and I just had this idea that like oh my god I hope by the time I release this cider like this is something that people can share that like we can all be together like laughing and having a good time together um and turns out I've released that cider again we're for a second time we're and I just made it for the third time. We're still in the pandemic, but you know, <laughs> someday it's a, it's a great picnic cider.
2: <laughs> um, it was interesting to see how you use the pandemic because I think when I came back to New York, you dropped off a small case of cider for me on the side of the road, and you were doing deliveries with your dog. One of the other things that I saw you do that I found so amazing was you were doing self-rating uh which i thought was super cool and i didn't even realize was an option um, for the uninitiated what is self-rating and how did you work it into your cider practice so um a
6: lot of this and a lot of what i do comes back to community so the property that i'm on um is owned by it's a group of friends that bought it all together and there are several different houses on the property. Um, and one of them is owned by a guy named Sam Merritt, um, who decided he wanted to bring carbon neutral shipping back to the Hudson river via sail freight. He bought this old cargo ship, um, and restored it, um, and, uh, started doing some, experiments with delivering stuff last year and really has started this year to dial in on what they're doing that every month, the end of the month, um, they load up a bunch of goods in Hudson, which is where we're based, um, and sail it down the river to different ports along the way, stopping ending it in New York city where we do some events. Um, and people can pick up cider that they've pre-ordered or they can like, I usually bring samples of cider for people to try or to like buy there on site. They load up with New York City goods and then bring them back up the river. Um, And they're really serious about being carbon neutral. They're not turning on the engine. Um, When they get to port, uh, they're delivering things by cargo bicycle. So, there was actually, <laughs> I think there was one time where stuff, uh, a lot of the cargo is um, like malt and grain for breweries and distilleries. And I'm pretty sure we brought some grain on via horse and carriage uh, over to Van Brent Distillery from the docks in Red Hook, where, which is where we go every month.
2: So it's also a time machine.
6: It is a total time machine, but... Okay, you want to talk even more time machine? Um, <laughs> the craziest, the craziest part of that that I was involved with. Um, so there is a um, a boat tour company called Classic Harbor Line, um, and they know about the boat, and they knew about. It's called Schooner Apollonia is the name of the ship um, that I work with, and. Uh, They were reminded, there was an article about it in the New York Times um, and I got a call from these guys, just like a few, sorry, there's a motorcycle going by. (laughs) Um, Or I got an email, I guess, from these guys the day before the ship was due to leave port to go down to New York City. And they're like, hey, um, we wanna buy like six cases I don't see an option for that really on the website. And I called them and I was like, are you, is, is this for personal use or are you, <laughs> are you trying to sell them on your boats? I'm like, no, we want to buy them and sell them on the boats. And we would love once the cider gets down to the city to come and pick it up by boat. And uh, so the way it ended up working is the, um, and I actually got to be on the boat for this is we, sailed out uh, we were at the south street seaport which is one of our destinations every month um, we sailed out from the south street seaport to the middle of the hudson river and um, a rowing gig came up and met us which is just like a big rowboat and we transferred cider six cases of cider and also me from the sailboat to the rowboat and, like, (laughs) rode back to the Chelsea Pier to these boats that are now selling cider on there. But, like, that is such an old-school way of delivering cargo. Like, that used to happen hundreds of years ago in New York all the time. Like, that's how stuff made it from ship to shore sometimes. Um, But uh, this guy, Patrick, who works at Classic Harbor Lines, was like, we are stepping backwards into the future that that people are trying to find ways that they can feel responsible and sustainable about how they're consuming things. And, you know, it's obviously not super scalable to be selling all of our stuff via sailboat and rowboat, but I think the more people that are inspired to do these kinds of things, the more accessible it becomes and the more people learn about what different options are And the fact that you know Hudson River is, you know, shipping lines or was for a really really long time. Um, So it's old school, but it's also hopefully it can inspire people for the future. And it's also just people. You know, people are interested in stories, and people are interested in connecting with people. Their food or their alcohol comes from. And this is a way for them to be really, really intimately involved in, you know, not just getting to know the producers, but getting to know how stuff gets from one place to another.
2: Amazing. Uh, Let's end where we began about misconceptions around cider. Uh, You thought it was sweet, as we all did, or (laughs) uh, lightning in a can, just high alcohol and just slam it. Uh, One of the other misconceptions that cider is only for one season. And one of the things from knowing you is understanding different ciders can be joined, enjoyed at different times. How do you break that misconception? What is a good cider rule for the, the various seasons?
6: I mean, the way that I make cider, the way that a lot of people in New York and a lot of producers around the U.S. and increasing in other parts of the world, are making it, it's wine, it's a fruit wine, it's a fermented fruit. Um, and so you can drink it and treat it as wine. You know, it's its own category and different apples are going to make different, are going to taste differently in the bottle. You know, aging processes are going to be different. Um, people's, when people are using native yeast, you know, that's going to express terroir different. So, you know, I make a cider that is the main cider that I make. It's called first edition is like good for hot weather. It's pretty crushable. It's still really dry. It drinks. I've had people say it drinks kind of like a pet nat. Um, I also make a, um, unfiltered actual pet nat style cider. So it's f- bottled while it's still fermenting. Um, that's the kind of stuff that, you know, you could eat with, eat with your dinner or like take to the park. Um, or one of the ciders that I make is a cider that's infused with goldenrod and it has a lot of pretty powerful flavor. It's just, very, um, floral and aromatic. It has some like black pepper and like bitter wormwood notes that I tell people to drink like a digestif, you know, it's like your meal ender that, yeah cider is cider is for all seasons
2: amazing well nika thank you for joining us um if people want to find you order from you take a rowboat with you <laughs> how do they get of
6: um so they can find me on my website which is just greenpointcidery.com um i'm also pretty active on instagram and my handle there is just greenpointcidery um so yeah Contact me there. I'm still doing home deliveries, which I was doing all during the pandemic. Um, So look me up.
2: Great. Uh, We have got another song from our archives and we will be back with the second half of Snacky Tunes here on
6: HRN. Mm
3: next door. Back then, she didn't know how to fit in, and everyone kept telling her. Don't talk back, don't ask us why. Just sit down quietly and smile. the grave.
1: Food is worth a thousand words. This is Aarti Menon, and I'm delighted to share a new podcast with you, My Family Recipe, from Food52 and Heritage Radio Network. Adapted from Food52's much-loved column of the same name, the My Family Recipe podcast will bring its pages to life. Each episode of My Family Recipe brings you a cherished heirloom recipe and the story behind it, from voices across the world of food. We'd open these, tubs of dough and they would exhaust these incredible yeasty fumes and it just smelled like nothing else. It was so intoxicating. I'll interview writers and chefs, parents and children about what's passed down along with the foods that we know and love.
5: Chinese people aren't like born with a download on how to like velvet chicken, you know, like that's not something that just like comes to you.
1: Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Well, Adrian, welcome to Snacky Tunes. Thank you. Um, I know we're not going to go into it, but <laughs> my vote is that you don't take down your story bio section. Oh,
4: yeah. Because
2: yeah. it's just... It's thorough. Not, it's <laughs> thorough. How long did it take you to write it?
4: Oh, I don't know. Uh, it was, I guess it was an, a- an afternoon.
2: All right. All we really need to know is that you started playing as a child and your father taught you how to play music. Mm-hmm. And there's been a long list of inspirations. Yes. Um, we'll start with like this. What from your childhood teenage years still resonates today with you as a musician and a performer?
4: Well, I'm sure a lot, even just on a subconscious level, um, because I was taking in so much when I was a kid. Um, I mean, I started playing when I was six, and um, and had a lot of i got to work with a lot of um older musicians who had been doing it for a long time and um my experiences were i I just kind of look at it like my school like that was that was school for me go um recording and, and recording i recorded a couple records before i was 16 and that was amazing i would never take that back um and yeah i learned a lot and and a lot of it i'm sure is why i'm where i am now Which is? Mm, I guess I can't pinpoint it exactly, but even just... um, I guess just feeling comfortable having having such a a long relationship with music and feeling um, like, you know, my guitar is like the closest thing to me. Um, I don't know, I may not feel that way if I had just started playing, but since I've been playing forever, um, I mean, for as long as I can remember, I... It's um I have a special relationship with it.
2: How long have you had that guitar?
4: This one I've had since I was 14.
2: Wow, it's in good shape.
4: Yeah, I try not to be too rough on it. Although lately uh recently it took a tumble.
2: Oh, what it happened? F-
4: it was the first time um I was I was just getting I was just depositing a paycheck and I stepped outside of the bank and uh <clears throat> I had it in a, in a soft case, a travel case, and yeah. I knew when I was taking that case out, I knew that it wasn't very well padded, and I was a little bit worried about it, but I didn't have my case, I and was, I was using a friend's case. <clears throat> and um, the strap came off, and it just fell st- just ver- vertically, just straight down on the bottom of the body, Oof. and the <clears throat> cracked the wood, split the wood up the top, up the face of the guitar, and then up the back, too. Yeah, so um, I just started crying so hard. Oh. It was awful. I thought it was, yeah, because I opened up the case. I was like, oh shit, and and I, um, yeah, it was pretty. It was a pretty intense moment. I felt like my baby had just fallen, but um. But it looks good now. But now, yeah, actually, yeah.
2: You got it all fixed up.
4: I got it fixed up. Nice. Got a good deal on it all
2: right well uh do you want to play us a song on your fixed up guitar sure uh what are you gonna play for us first
4: um this one's new it doesn't have a title yet all right oh you know what i'm
5: step outside and make my way on from Carolina Anyway, the weather blows Home is where I find you With the aching inside to ride the mighty wind And nothing more Oh, I just want to see you there Sleeping on my floor well, I don't really you. I just want to kiss you, I don't know how to love you, but some days I miss you, I just want to see you there, sleeping on my floor, with the aching side to ride the mighty wind. For the open road, she turned and slammed the door
2: awesome really nice really Thanks. pretty
4: thank you yeah
2: mm-hmm. uh, so let's talk about the album which is you are considering despite having previous albums this is your first album hours were the birds mm-hmm. uh love the title thank you where did that come from um uh,
4: time flies
2: time flies mm-hmm. uh <laughs> nice it's a pun. Kind of. I I love it even more.
4: Yeah.
2: Um, So talk to me about the uh, process of of putting out your first album and, you know, when did you start writing songs for it or is this, you know, are these songs from your entire life that got put into your first album? Uh,
4: These are songs that I've been working on for maybe, I guess the earliest one on there is from when I was about 18 or 17, which is Disappear. Okay. And, and then um, there's another track on there, "Lighthouse," from when I was 18, and um, and then it's basically I just chose these songs from a bunch of songs that I've written over the last four years.
2: Um, how do you feel about it? Like, is it like having your first child?
4: It yeah, it kind of. Well, I don't know because <laughs> I've never had a child, but I I think. Um, yeah, it's definitely vulnerable.
2: Yeah. I guess that's more, you know, not in the birth way, but just like yeah. putting something out there that you created and sort of you're protective about it, but it's got a life of its own. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Um. Yeah, they're all really special to me. Um, and it's always kind of, it can be kind of scary putting something out there that's that close to you, but um, it's cool, too, to... To finally just let them go and let other people hear them.
2: Um. So when you were writing the album, we always like to ask, uh, what was the uh, food and drink situation in the studio and in the inspiration of sustenance uh, <laughs> from like you know a dietary point of view?
4: What was I eating while I was recording it? Yeah,
2: and drinking and you having know, it in the studio.
4: I, I it's funny, when I recorded these I was alone the whole time. Really? I mean, no it was me and then Rob Osterlin, the the recording engineer. Okay. But um but uh I actually made this sandwich that sounds disgusting, but I still think about it. It's um spread, I don't remember what kind it was. It's the antithesis of the tortilla, I'm sorry, Jeff. But um it uh yeah, it had bread and then miso on it. Like miso paste? Yes. Okay. It's going to get really weird. Are you I'm, ready? <laughs> Yeah, I'm ready. Peanut butter.
2: I'm with you so far. Banana. Uh, still with. Yeah.
4: And avocado. Okay. <laughs> that's where I might lose some people.
2: Uh, oh, man. It just, sounds just, really weird. It just sounds really mushy. It, yeah. I it was, was gonna mushy, I was, was going to say, that's, I got a... I, I'm less weirded out by the flavors, more of, like, a texture thing. Yeah, it's just... Did you toast the bread?
4: I think so. Yeah.
2: Okay.
7: All right, so there's some crunch there.
2: Yeah. Is that going to... Do you see that making it on the Bird menu anytime <laughs> soon?
7: Uh, I, I mean...
2: <laughs> no. I mean, I'm, I'll put it this way. Miso, peanut butter, banana. Mm-hmm. I said mm-hmm. that
7: miso... Miso's, I guess, I don't know. Misa I mean, just
4: adds a little bit of salt. Yeah. You know? You don't no, put no, no. tons of miso. No,
2: I'm, I'm with you on that. But
4: banana and avocado, I will say that's sweet. That's kind of odd.
2: What do you like about that flavor combo? Well,
4: I was thinking, I was, wanting too many, I was craving too many things at once. Like, I really, have you ever had a smoothie with avocado in it? Yeah. <clears throat> that can be really good. And I was kind of wanting that, but I also wanted a sandwich.
2: Did you make the sandwich multiple times?
4: No. I've uh, only okay. ever made it the once, the one time.
2: And how did you feel about it?
4: Well, it stuck in my memory.
2: Yeah, I I don't think that's a flavor you would forget.
4: Um, I, I really enjoyed it and I think I'll make it again someday. And I had it with a I I had a beer with it, a stout. Okay. That I was is really just, proud of that snack. I that's just, just
2: a lot of food thickness.
4: Yeah, well I like thick food.
2: Okay. Okay.
7: I think I think some of the some of the most beautiful music can be made when you're just on the verge of on the verge of throwing up. You know what I mean? That's, <laughs> yeah. That's when you can be truly honest with yourself and with others.
4: I think this was towards the end of the day, and I was really tired. I felt empty.
7: That that sounds like a very uh,
2: tired made meal.
4: Also, yeah. I didn't have that many groceries left. It was kind of just what was yeah. left, and I put them all together. That
2: also sounds like a <clears> throat> end throat> of the grocery. Yeah, so...
4: You know what? That was a that was a lie. I had my choice of so many different oh, groceries.
2: Oh, man. That's I just a, wanted that. It comment. was first thing in the morning and I just got on the grocery store. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you remember uh what song you were recording around that time?
4: Um after uh I believe that was the um banana banana avocado miso song that I Uh,
2: that's yeah, it's burning up the charts <clears> throat> in throat> yeah. uh the Philippines, I think. <clears throat> yeah. Um, um the, the dance that goes with it is
7: also very amazing. Yeah. It's nauseating.
4: Um I think I you know, there's no way I can remember it what songs I was working on that day, but I could play something from from around that time.
2: Okay. Let's hear a song from that time. What are you thinking?
4: Uh, I'll play the title track of that album. Okay. Okay. So this is called Hours of the Birds. See if I can remember how to play it. <laughs> okay.
5: i got something here, it's a chance. I'm gonna make my changes as I go in the city lights, dance lay the stars. I have metal cans reasons why the seasons leave their scars I am thin as cinnamon and tarnished like these metal cars the driver
2: That's a good title track. Thank you. Would you write a title track, or when you name a song, or an album after a song? How does that process go? Do you write the song, and then go, like, I think this song represents the album, so I'm going to name the album after it, or, or what's the thought behind it?
4: I really had no, um, finding a name for the album was something that came kind of last and it was after I had all the songs together um, and I just I just felt like ours were the birds I mean it wasn't it wasn't the plan to 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 name it after one of the songs but um, I just felt like that ca- that kind of captured the spirit of the record in general because it came from a time when I was it's kind of a lot of stuff is about growing up and just that feeling um, and I felt like it was appropriate, and I just liked the the way it sounded, and um, kind of wanted to just do the obvious thing. I just kind of wanted to go for it and not try to make it any more mysterious. Just name it and have the first song be be that. It's not necessarily the um, the peak of the album or anything, or um, I don't know. Yeah, it's just.
2: Just is. Just is.
4: Yeah. I just liked it.
2: Sometimes you just gotta go after things that you like. Yeah. Yeah. No mystery. No mystery. Too much mystery. Too much mystery? Just too much mystery. Just keep it simple. Yeah. You know, I, I have to say that I, I feel sometimes in this era, in this area, there's
7: sometimes like sh- things are shrouded mystery or. <laughs> yeah. I feel like we're living in a post mystery world and I think she's kind of leading the way, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's post mystery. Pomai? Poma. Pomar, yeah. <laughs> or Pomy. Pomis. Pomis.
2: Pomis. Um. So what's next? What do you got coming up? Um, what's on the, the dockets?
4: Well, I'm going to do a tour in, in May. And Is I'm your just boss going to let plan.
2: you
7: uh, get off work?
4: Um, I hope so, but I don't know. Maybe I won't talk too much about that right now. <laughs> I'm just kidding.
7: Well, we can work it out. I mean, it's a perfect time to work out a schedule. No, yeah, <laughs> we got time in it, right? Yeah. yeah, we got time in the air for that. always
4: been really flexible about uh, music stuff. Yeah,
7: I, I mean, it's. It is, I mean, I've worked at jobs as long as the people who work for me like do. If they do a good job, they can come and go, and I'll bend over backwards for it. You know, because like I've I, I've I always work, when I worked at places. I just did a really really good job, and then I went on tour, and then. When I came back, they gave me they gave me the job back because I did as good or better a job than anybody else they could find. So you know, if the job I never I also never expected that that job to be back for me. So I had a lot of jobs, but I try to be flexible, you know, as much as much as I can. Yeah, I mean, you gotta be. There's no point. I mean, you gonna work at my coffee shop for the rest of your life? You know, you are. I mean, yeah, I am. But that <laughs> I, that's my choice. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you're gonna go on tour.
4: Jeff just makes it clear that as long as we do a Skype session where I'm showing him me practicing making an egg every night that I'm on tour, like, I just have to be practicing and perfecting, further perfecting the Whirlyberry Breakfast Taco.
2: And
7: how, how send is, him evidence. How about your talk, breakfast taco making skills? She's actually really, really good. She came right, like, she came in and just, like, I just showed her one time and she just, she got it. She even got, like, the nuances of the key is how you scramble the egg and she mastered it, you know? What's the key? putting scrambling the egg, putting it on a cold like a little bit of oil in a cold pan and then just moving it around so that it's like right between being underdone and overdone and mm-hmm. the egg is still shiny and it has this like almost cheese. You make curds. You yep. sort of steam it. Yeah. That's how I do my eggs. It's the, it's in my opinion it's the only way. Like It's the only way. That's how you scramble it. You egg. gotta make you can, you make a big old curd. Yep. You
4: don't want it to be dry.
7: Yeah. No. I don't like
2: people who like when you, lay, when you see the pan afterward, it's all burnt and your egg's all brown and things like that. Like, some people do scrambled eggs on a really high heat. Yeah. Make them, you know, they scramble in a minute. I don't get that.
7: I don't know. I think it's like, I don't know I don't know why that was ever cool. Maybe they just, you know, I think those people have just never had eggs the right way. You know what I mean? Maybe they're impatient. I don't know. I feel like you just got to wait. You
2: just got to wait for your eggs to scramble.
4: Whatever yeah. floats your boat, though. If, yeah. you, if you like that. I feel like that burnt taste.
2: <sighs> I don't know. I really <laughs> feel that uh, there's a right way and a wrong way to make scrambled eggs Yeah. I think that there's there's one yeah, there's one
7: <laughs> one way to do it. Um so you're gonna go to on tour in May.
4: Yeah, um,
7: You're playing a show soon, right?
4: Mm-hmm. I'm playing on on the fifteenth, which is this Wednesday. Where are you playing? I believe it's this Wednesday. Yeah, at Rockwood Music Hall, stage uh, two. Nice. In uh, Lower East Side.
2: Nice, I've yet to go there. I heard it's nice though. Yeah, it's oh, a cool place. It'll be fun. Um,
4: and I'm also well. No, that doesn't. I'm playing in Boston
7: soon too, but
2: be in town. Go to Ana's They have great burritos there. So good. Have you had those? Yeah, it's the best.
7: That might be my favorite. I feel. I feel like every city I've been in, I just I I, I seek out the Mexican food.
2: I think it's partially because New York's Mexican food overall is really
7: lacking. I think so, I mean, you, you can find it, you can know, if you know where to find it, you can find it, there's two places that are gone from the Williamsburg area that I, I lament every day, Matamoros Grocery Store in the back of it, between oh, North yeah. 6 and North 7. Yeah, but
2: Matamoros has been gone for...
7: I know that, I mean, I still limit it, and like this, my secret, I, it was, was a Lavalita Bakery on Grand and Bedford, the one with the dirty old cakes in it. Oh, yeah. Two dollars got you a taco that was overstuffed that you wait they made tacos there they made ta- dude they 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 closed it's gone it's too late now but they made chorizo tacos that you get one for $2 and it was overstuffed they give you two tortillas so you lift up one tortilla and eat over the first tortilla and the stuff that would fall out of the first taco was your second taco and it cost $2 and dude, I didn't mean, I
2: didn't even know they had to- I just ignored it
7: I always try I never told anybody about it cuz I wanted it to be my secret and now it's gone and now I'm sad about it what? Do
4: it.
7: Do what? Do
4: that.
2: No. <laughs> you can I add that. No, that's there. Have you been to Mexico two thousand? Up on
7: Grand and Hooper, that's where I get my chorizo. Oh. Yeah, that's it's the that's 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 the place that's still kind of holding the torch. That had, place. That had, place is great. Yeah, I had to learn Spanish because I wanted to to order because I wanted to order my chorizo from them and they won't. Do they make their own chorizo? They make their own chorizo and it's unbelievable it is that place is I gotta go back there it's slamming it's slamming
2: Um, alright so Adrian what last song do you have for us
4: um I could play a newer one or I could do one off of the record
2: whatever you want
4: alright I'll do this this one
2: but wait before we go how do people find you online what's the nuts and bolts
4: um well my you can get my record at adrianelinker.bandcamp.com Okay. um or you can i have a facebook page as well just adrian linker or uh um my website adrian.com
2: just adrian.com
4: adrian or adrian linker either will take you there
2: that's amazing though you got just your first name dot yeah. com yeah
4: my dad's a web designer and he got it for me when i was like 12 <laughs> <laughs> back <laughs> that that you of it.
2: there you go Teaching how to play music and buy new websites. Well, guys, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for being our first show of the
7: year. <clears throat> awesome. Again, yeah. happy New Year. Last day to say it. Yep. Happy New Year, everybody. Don't try and say it to me tomorrow.
2: No. Uh, shout out to everybody. Shout out to Greg in LA. Greg. We're, and then uh, we have our first bar food blowout coming up on uh, February 11th at Park Slope with the uh, Maharlika and Gypney people. Amazing. rackle Dads will be DJing. Awesome. Yeah.
7: I'll 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 try and come out. Yeah. I bring my, my kid? Yeah. Awesome.
2: Bar friendly. Alright, here we go. Last song, snacky tunes. Thank, Thank you so much. We'll see you next week. Okay. Thanks, guys.
5: <laughs> New York City gripped me like a big old machine. made me shout and sometimes I forgot about the way the wind blows in and out of the cottonwood trees and oh it's easy to lose your mind I might have lost mine if I hadn't found you the avenue Businesses and schoolyards, shopping malls and motor cars, all in one scene. The lowest lows and highest highs, the meanest noise and the lullabies, the poison and the compromise, the unspoken scream. And oh, it's so hard to find your place. I've never found mine. If I haven't seen your face, and you can be my boss, to Keaton, I'll be blessed. And, dearie, we can see the world so clearly. You'll color the gray way I will sing you songs all day. The decay will just turn to bloom. And We look at the good old-fashioned moon Well, New York City split me Like a log in a mill Half of me happy The other half ill But I feel myself the old neon chill. I still feel a longing, but it's chased by a thrill. And oh, it's so hard to find your place. And i never found mine if I hadn't seen your face. We'll just turn to bloom as we look at the good old-fashioned moon
3: We talk about food, we talk about music, music. with musical dance.